welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Today, I will be reading scripture from Philippians 4, 10-19. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is to be more credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epiditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Fun? Some of you are like, what's five minutes of fun? I know you were late today. Uh, but you should join that. But we're going to keep it going with one of my favorite games, which is Name That Tune. And you'll see with these songs, there's actually like a theme to the songs. Now, even if you don't know any of them, you'll get an education in music. Here's the first one. Always sunny in a rich man's world. Some of you, you can text this in. Yes, it is ABBA. These were the hair bands before they were hair bands, okay? Uh, Money, money, money by ABBA. Okay, here's the next one. We've got to move these refrigerators. We've got to move these color TVs. This is really important, guys, and it's sad that most of you don't know this, okay? Money for nothing, dire straits. That's Mark Knopfler, like the headband, okay? Last one, you probably have heard this song, but you didn't know this is what they were saying. Who's mostly Dolce down to the tube socks? Okay, that is, if you're guessing along the theme, Mo Money, More Problems, Notorious, B.I.G., P. Diddy, Mace, all of that good stuff. Now, I was thinking about the fact that all these songs obviously have to do with money, that it's kind of odd that people would sing about money, right? Like it's because on one level, money has to do with just there's math. And basic math around money is addition and subtraction. I actually think they should teach this stuff in schools, which they don't actually. The addition and subtraction, they do not the money stuff. But like addition is like what you make, what comes in. Subtraction is what you spend. And as someone once said, there shouldn't be any like, there's no weird mystery around that. You know what comes in. You know where it goes. That's just math. Addition, subtraction. Now for the more sophisticated, there's, um, you know, geometric sort of uh, math applied to money where you could invest and you have compound interest and your money can grow on a curve that's more than just addition. And that's all good. And listen, when it comes to money, math is important. You need to understand the math side of money. It, it's, it would actually make life a lot better if we all kind of understood the math around that. But that's not why people sing about money. It's not just about math. It's actually about the heart as well. Money has a math side, but also a heart side. And the scriptures, we said last week, when they talk about the heart, the heart is not just like, hey, you know, heart, I love you. 
emotions, it's, it's really the center of who we are, not just sort of the organ, but this idea that there is a part of us that is the most true thing about us. It is where our deepest and truest emotions come from. It is where our deepest and truest thoughts come from. It is the part of us that um, fuels all of the way we think, the way we act, the decisions we make, the things we value, our motives. It's kind of the center of us, the truest part of us. And the scriptures actually also tell us that money isn't just about math, it's about the heart. It's about the center of us and where all of that comes from. And what's interesting about um, money, and it's actually one of the conversations I have, like if you have a couple that's getting married and I do premarital counseling with you, we have one of these conversations about money. And we ask this question, what is the meaning of money? You say, like, well, what do you mean? What, what is the meaning of money? Well, what does money mean to you? And here's kind of three categories that maybe they're oversimplified, but that all of us in some way would understand, oh, this is what money means to you. For some people, money means status. Like money is what you get that would allow you to kind of buy things that would improve your image. And, and I know I'm saying it kind of negatively, but just hear me for a moment. This is like, we're all, we're all in the same boat, okay, here. But there's some of us who would say, oh, the money that affords either because I make a certain amount or what allows me to buy that presents a certain image of myself or the image I want to present on social media or whatever, the car that I drive in terms of how it looks. And, um, you know, the more expensive a car, the better it looks on the outside or vice versa, right? Like that, or the kind of neighborhood I want to live in or the kind of house I want to have or the image that I want to project about myself. Some of us, that's status, what other people think of me or even what I think about myself, how I would view my life from the outside, how my family views me. For some of us, or, and some of us grew up in families where um, status was an important part of how you made money. If you've arrived, if you were able to buy this or if you were able to buy that. I always tell people too, if you want to understand kind of the meaning of money for you, your family background usually is a clue. It, it meant something for you. Other people, it's all about happiness, right? If, if status is about curb appeal, happiness is about being able to have a hot tub in the backyard. It's like, I don't care what, the, I don't care what people think. I just want a nice life. I want enjoyment. I want comfort. People who love and uh, want money for happiness is like, hey, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to eat good food. I want to be able to buy things that will, um, you know, toys, whatever, that'll make me happy. And again, we're all in this boat. So I don't want you to think about this from a purely sort of negative standpoint. This is just some of us that's, it's, we're, it's about life that we want to enjoy. And so money means that we are allowed, you know, even though we say, oh, money can't buy happiness, it feels like it kind of can, right? If we can get these things. Others of us, money means security for us. And, and maybe that means we're more spenders than we are savers. Security as in, well, if I can just sort of make sure that I can buy property, that's going to give me sort of an asset base that's stable, that's going to appreciate. Uh, if I can get into this school or I can get into school and get a degree, that will, money allows me to pay for school, that will give me more stability, more security. If I have a nest egg or something that's going to save for uh, retirement for the future or maybe for my kids so that I can help them buy the house that I want to get my kids into that school so they can have, for, for some of us, it's about the security. And if we think about this as sort of the meaning of money for us, um, that, that actually kind of explains a lot of how we uh, value it in that sense. Now, as I said to you, Sometimes when you think about your family of origin and what it was like for you growing up, um, that can help us. But it doesn't mean just because, if, say, say you grew up in a family where money was about security and, and it was like whether you had a lot or a little, um, but it was like about security, you felt like maybe 
It, you may, maybe you grew up and you're like, yeah, money's about security for me too. Or actually, maybe it's more about happiness because you felt like you had to sacrifice happiness when you're growing up because you can never buy this, you can never buy that because everything was always saving. So now you're all about happiness. You don't want to be about security because of what you grew up in. So sometimes our family background is something that actually shapes how we continue to think. Sometimes we're actually reacting totally different from where our family was. But either way, we all have this. And so what I want to do is give you a moment to say, okay, well, what about you? What about you? What does money mean to you? And, and so I want you to talk about that with the people you're sitting just for a couple minutes. Um, where do you lean in this? For you, is it about like, you know, having arrived or what you could wear or a certain kind of shoes or a certain kind of house or whatever? Is it about happiness, what you can enjoy? Or is it about security and stability? And so I want you to take a couple minutes just to talk about that with the people around you. If you're on your own, you could text somebody. And maybe one of the ways to think about it, if you're like, well, I don't know. Well, how about this? If you were given a large sum of money, what would you do with it? And don't be like, well, a little bit of this. It's like, no, just think about these categories. If you were given, a, you know, one of those giant checks showed up at your door or your grandparent gave you like a large sum of money, like would it, where would you spend that? Maybe that's a little bit of a clue for where you'd end up on that. So I want you to take a few minutes and just think about that for a moment, discuss amongst you. So you're talking, maybe you're not sure totally exactly which one of these, but some, we all lean, maybe you have a little bit of all three, or maybe in certain stages of life, it, it changes in different things or different people, but how we would think about it. But I want you to think about it this way. The thing, the reason that this matters so much is these things that money means to us are actually a way of thinking, think about this, that they're actually attachments. That the status that we look for or the happiness we want we think that money can buy, or even security, they are things that our hearts get attached to. And, and they, they kind of, you know, they have the ability to move us around based on what we think they do for us, right? Like if this is kind of our heart, our hearts get attached to these things, which is why our hearts can actually move up and down and left and right as money comes and goes because we're sort of connected to these things in some way. They mean something to us. And maybe in this season for many of you where um, perhaps your income has been affected or the possibility that your income has been affected, it's kind of moved your heart around a little bit because we're all attached. There are attachments kind of connected to our heart that money means more than just the math. It means something that our heart is pulled by, pulled left and right, up and down. Whether we have a lot of it or a little of it, whether we feel like it's something we have that we cherish or something we don't have that we desire, either way, our hearts can be pulled on by these things that we are attached to. The scriptures actually describe that this is what our situation is, that this is how our hearts are connected to. And we actually said that we are um, in a series on generosity, and we said like a couple of weeks ago that this is primarily about our hearts, and we said it's so much bigger than money. A couple, weeks we talked, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how um, this is about injustice and like God's actually uh, asking us to spend ourselves, to have our hearts broken. Uh, in other ways, we talk about how, uh, last week we talked about this begins with gratitude. But today as we actually talk about the money side of generosity, our premise of this whole thing is that generosity, according to scripture, according to God, is the unlikely cure for worry, discontentment, and fear. And if you think about it and the things that our hearts are attached to and pulled by, it's often worry, discontentment, and fear that comes in. That's why these attachments are so significant to us, 
right? And you can live in worry and fear if money means status to you, as in like, am I going to be accepted? Do I look good enough? Do I act good enough? Do I live in the right place? Have I, am I, is my family going to accept me if they think I've made a name for myself? I've talked to lots of people who are their family expectations to become something or to become someone, and money is so tied to that. And we can have fear or worry in our lives, or am I good enough? Am I doing enough? We can have fear or worry if money means security to us. Will I have enough? What about the future? What if you lose your job? What if one of us gets sick? What if we both need to, um, you know, go into a, a, a care home? What if um, one of us passes away earlier? What if I lose that job? The, the, the fear of the future, worry and fear. And then there can be just this discontentment is sort of going, if money is about happiness for us, it's saying we need to keep kind of propping that. And our premise in this whole thing is generosity is the life that God invites us into to actually free our hearts from these things. Now, the passage that we're looking at today is a passage, actually, where the Apostle Paul is writing to a church about money. Now, we can quickly think, right, like we said last week, that often when God wants to talk to us about our money, it's because he wants to get our money from us. And as someone once said that I never forgot, if God wanted to get your money, he would just take it. I mean, the government gets your money. They have no problem doing it. God could just do that. God doesn't actually want to get our money from us. But we can think, oh, is this, is this the tax? You know, when it, giving is the kind of the tax that I pay God off for? Or is it like... Um, you know, that, um, that I'm going to feel guilty, hey, you should give, and is that what this is about? Or is it more just, hey, it's straight-up obedience. You just have to obey. That's what's part about of following Jesus, of being a Christian, of knowing God. You have to give. And interestingly, this, as one of many passages in the Scriptures about money, doesn't approach it from any of those vantage points. It's the Apostle Paul writing to a church about money. Now, here's what's really important. If someone's going to talk to us about money, we kind of need to know who they are and where they're coming from right? Like if it's someone who's on an anti-consumerism, um, you know, rant about we all have too much stuff and we just need to buy less, we're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to listen to you talk about money, right? Or if it's someone who has tons of money and has never really known what it's like to scrape by or known what it's like to wonder where the next meal is coming from, we don't want to talk to them about money because you think you don't understand my world. And what's so interesting is Paul, as he's writing this letter to a church um, who had actually given to him before and had supported what he was doing, he says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. This is the person who's writing to us about this particular passage about money, and he says, hey, I have been on both ends of the spectrum. Now, if you know of Paul, or you've read one of his letters before, or you don't know anything about him, or you just heard St. Paul or the Apostle Paul, you probably think, oh, he's some kind of priest of some kind. But actually, Paul had a very interesting life. And one of the things he uses to describe his life, he said, look, I've been in times where I've had a lot. And he says, um, plenty means like more than enough, like overflowing. And in need actually means like, in, in not just poverty, but hardship. It's interesting that they, they're pretty sure that Paul was probably, at least for some periods of his life, fairly wealthy. Um, he, he's known as, his original name was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a wealthy place. So it's kind of like a, if you'd think of a certain city where you say, oh, people live there. Like, you have to have money to live there. That's what Tarsus was like. That Paul was probably wealthy in some way. He was a tent maker. Like, and not like sort of these, you know, tents that you go camping in, like, which I don't know much about. Like, the only thing I know is a two-person tent is not a two-person tent, okay? So that's just, let's just get out of the way. These are like 
tents like that people would live in, like, like huge tents that communities would live in, people in the desert or whatever. Um, and they, they required really rich and fine cloth and materials. And so Paul, they think, was probably someone who dealt in these and also made them. And so for seasons of his life, a period of time, he would have had a lot of money. It was a, it was a wealthy trade. He was also, we know, a Roman citizen. His, his father or his grandfather um, would have become Roman citizens. That was not an inexpensive thing to do. Like he wasn't born, like he was born a citizen, but he was a Jew. So he wasn't Roman. And so to get that, to get citizenship wasn't easy. It would have cost him money. And so we know that he was, and we also know that he traveled without um, working for, um, you know, when he was telling people about Jesus, no one was paying him to do it. So he actually funded his own self to travel around and rented houses for periods of time. And so he suddenly would say, Okay, I know what it's like to have a lot. But we also know, he says, I know what it's like to be in need. In fact, this letter, he's writing from prison. And the word need doesn't just mean about poverty. It means someone who has been humbled or humiliated or who has been pressed down into poverty. And so he's someone who has faced a kind of hardship that actually led him to a place where he was homeless, where he was shipwrecked, where he was in jail. And so Paul says, look, I know the spectrum of this. And here's the thing. Wherever you happen to find yourself in this spectrum, whether you're someone who said, no, I, I think I've got enough. And maybe if I'm honest, I got more than enough. Or others of us who would say, man, I'm in a place of need. Like I'm not good. Or maybe you've been in both. Here's the truth. Either way, our hearts can be attached. See, we, we can think, oh, like people with lots of money, they have money problems. Or people who have very little, oh, they have money problems. We all have money problems, not just the math side, the heart side, because we all have attachments, right? Whether you have status and you want to hang on to it, or you don't have it and you're striving for it. Whether you're someone saying, yeah, I have an overabundance. I can spend lots of things on things that make me happy or whatever. It can still make you attached to those things that you have or experiences or habits of places you're used to going, travel you're used to having, places you're used to living, clothes you're used to wearing stuff you're used to buying, or you'd say, no, I don't have any of that. I want that. I feel like I'm unhappy. I'm discontent because I don't. Either way, our hearts can be attached. And Paul says, hey, I've been in both. And so wherever we happen to find ourselves today, we know we could be attached to that. And he goes on, says to all of us and all of his listeners, his readers and us today, and says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This is his instruction about money. He says, in any and every situation, I've had plenty and I've had nothing, and I have learned the secret of being content. This word content, Paul says, this is, this is the secret. As I think about money, as I think about my life, and he's talking to them about money, here's how you need to understand. There's a secret in life, no matter what situation in, the secret is being content. And the word content in the Greek word actually means, we could probably translate it, unattached, like not tied to things. And Paul's saying, that's the secret to whether you have a lot. His, his secret isn't you should sell everything right? That's often what we think. Minimalism or whatever, like it's bad to have things, it's bad to buy things, it's bad to want things. He didn't say that. He says, hey, whether you have a lot or a little, there's a secret, no matter what, because we can be attached. He says the secret is to be unattached. That's the key. And he says something. He says, I have learned the secret. Now, this Greek word again, learn, where this is translated learn, is not about often how we think about learning, which is I read a book about this, and I figured it out, like some information I had. 
the word is actually better translated, I have experienced. Because of my experiences that I have lived through, of having a lot, of having a little, my experience has taught me something. It's actually what I have gone through. He said, we learn by experience, either going through it or making ourselves go through it. See, this, this idea of contentment, of, of not having attachments, he says, is actually something you have to learn by experience. And the experience could be that you find yourself thrust into a situation of economic hardship where you're scraping to get by, where you have very little, or where even you could relate to the Apostle Paul's description of, of being humbled or humiliated or pressed down. Maybe you were unjustly terminated. Maybe um, somebody did something to you and swindled a bunch of money away from you. That, that would be that kind of thing. Or maybe just hardship or life or things didn't pan out the way you, you wanted to. And so you're going through an experience of financial hardship. But the other side of it is actually, when we have plenty, is to actually give so that we end up with less in our pockets so we make ourselves go through it. Either way, Paul says, the only way to come to this place is to actually go through it, to learn it. Now you might say, wait, this is kind of a circular argument. He's saying the problem is you're attached. The secret is to be unattached. It's like, yeah, okay, I know that. Like, that doesn't help me. How does that actually work? Well, here's what I've understood. This experience thing, this learning thing, you know what you learn? We learn by experience that we actually have attachments. Like when we have a lot or when we have a little, as we go through them, as we begin to reflect on why is my heart going up and down with this thing? Why am I being pulled left and right? Why is this bothering me so much? Why am I so frustrated or fearful at the prospect of losing money? Why am I so constantly discontent at what I have? Or why am I so delighted with, with when, it, when I get a new thing or a new purchase that it, it kind of makes me feel good for a day or two? Or why is my mind always going to that next thing? Or why am I so conscious of what other people have? As we become more aware of these things, whether we have a lot or a little, we actually start to realize through experience, oh, I'm not unattached at all. I am so tied to this. As I think about my own story, um, you know, Jen and I have been married just a little over 18 years. And when you get married uh, and you start to live life together, you realize that you both think very differently on money. Like the sort of the running joke in our marriage when we first, uh, you know, started to live together and got married, we were like, okay, well, married and then, got, and then lived together, just that order. Um, was, I said to her one day, hey, honey, we should, it was like a year into marriage. I said, let's go on a trip. And she's like, okay, where do you want to go? So I told her, and she's like, how much does it cost? So I told her, she's like, we could buy a couch for that. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, okay, that's nice. Can we go on the trip? And she's like, no. I'm like, she's like, well, you're going to burn that on a trip? I'm like, a couch you just sit on. Like, I want, see, because for me, money was all about happiness. Like, what can I do? What can I enjoy? It's not about status so much. Um, and I don't care about curb appeal. Any of you have seen my curb, you know that. Like, that's, that's not an interest. For me, it's all about exper like experiences, happiness, what I, where I can eat, new foods, new places, all of that stuff. And that was sort of my thing. Now, we, um, neither of us were reckless financially. We gave, uh, I thought, pretty generously. Um, and we lived, but I'll be honest with you, we never really budgeted. What our budget kind of looked like the math side of things was not in order for us. At the end of the month, we would look at what we spent and go, oh, like, or we'd kind of be like, oh no, what's it going to be like a big mystery to me when I open up my credit card statement or whatever. Now, things didn't get totally out of control, 
um, because we were in a stage of life where we were making more. So then I make a career switch into pastoral ministry, and my income changed. And it changed also a little bit earlier because Jen decided to stay at home with our kids. So all of a sudden, things started to change. Now, we still tried to give, um, but we still didn't budget very much. And then about two years ago, we had a come-to-Jesus conversation with Jesus and each other and Dave Ramsey about Financial Peace University, which was a lot about the math side. And I would recommend it to you. We got the math side under control, and it, was, it, like, it got us into a place as good as we have ever been when it comes to our finances. Like we're planning like better than ever, and I feel more at peace around the whole math side of it, but I noticed something that changed. I thought, okay, like, uh, you know, I can be unattached because maybe I have less and some of these purchases aren't in. And I grieved a little bit for a while that I couldn't just travel whenever I wanted to or eat whatever I wanted to and go out and have all these experiences, whatever. But I noticed, because my wife's always coming home and saying, we should give to this, we should give to that. I heard about this, we can help this person. And you know what I noticed? When we started to get things under control with our money, I started to feel stingier. Actually, the, the attachment now was not about, like, happiness. It was now security. Because now... I knew what every dollar was worth. Like, I honestly look back and think, was I really generous? I was just like, oh, sure, whatever, you know, give and then like spend on myself and whatever. But I didn't really know. Now all of a sudden I feel like I know the value of money a lot more and how hard it is to actually save and how rewarding it feels like when you do. And then to part with it, I was like, ooh, like this isn't the math side. This is like a whole other side of attachment. And that's still a work in process. And I realized, no, actually going through the experience is what helps you understand I'm not unattached at all. And how does this work? Now, you might say, okay, so is the goal just to have no attachments? It sounds like a kind of Zen Buddhism or any of you that are familiar with ancient Hinduism or ancient Buddhism. Like in ancient Hinduism, ancient Buddhism, and my father grew up as a Hindu um, before he became a Jesus follower, the, the idea is Pleasure and pain are both bad. Attachments in general are bad. And so meditation, you may not know this, meditation is the way that we can somehow unattach ourselves from everything. And so you might say, oh, okay, is that what this is? We're not supposed to have any attachments? And that's, that's actually not what this is at all. Because the Apostle Paul goes on to, the, to, to talking to the uh, church in Philippi um, who had given money to him. He said, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. See, the reason that we're meant to identify the attachments that we have to money because of status, because of happiness, because of security, is not because we're meant to be unattached to anything. It's because we're meant to be attached to something else. There's something else that's supposed to grab our, you know, the saying, the heartstrings and pull. There's something else that's supposed to draw us in. He says to them, you shared in my troubles. Practically speaking, what happened, we know, is that the Philippian church gave a lot of money to some other churches that Paul had started who were really going through poverty, particularly the church in Jerusalem, that where a lot of poor people were becoming followers of Jesus and they were needing practical help. And a lot of people were becoming poor because they were followers of Jesus, because other people were allowed to plunder them and take their goods and whatever. And so the church in Jerusalem was going through a brutal time of poverty. And so the other churches around, the church in Philippi was one of them, gave money to them. And they gave money to Paul, who was actually in prison or whatever and couldn't make money for a period of time. And so he says, you shared in my troubles. Your heart got grabbed by God. And this is what is meant to happen in our lives. You see, it isn't just about, as I said to you last week, about our hearts. It's about, let's, let's look at this. This is like, imagine this is like the heart of God. This is actually about, I'm going to see if I can do this here. 
as we attach to the heart of God. As we get closer to what he wants us to be connected to, that God's heart, and God's heart is always about relationships, about coming closer to the things like we said a couple of weeks ago that break the heart of God, of becoming more and more attached to the things that God says, these things are worth your time. These things are worth obsessing about, planning for, scheming for, um, generosity as a way of life with your heart. Get closer to my heart. And now, oh, I had scissors. Hang on, I'm gonna get them. That over time, is this going to hold? We get less attached to these things that actually pull us into worry and fear and discontentment, and we get more attached to the heart of God as we become closer to the things that God says, these are the things that I want for you. I want you to have a heart like mine. That's why we give. That's why we're actually invited to give. And some of us, as we said, as we go through times, maybe you're saying, I'm in a season where I don't have a lot. It is to realize, yeah, but you don't need these attachments, these other things that you think you need for fulfillment, for contentment. It is actually about coming closer to the heart of God. And others of us need to learn that by giving. As we give, it exposes the attachments we do have to things we're not meant to be attached for, and it brings us closer to the heart of God. Less attachment to status, happiness, and security in order to be more attached to God's heart. This is what generosity is about. This is why we are invited to give. God doesn't need your money. Someone said, he's not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. He's trying to keep you from getting grabbed by it and bring you closer to his heart. Now, the universal response to this, if we're all honest, is I can't do that can't do that. And, and, and honestly, if you become more aware of the attachments you really have, you're like, I don't know how to stop worrying. I don't know how to stop being afraid of the future. I don't know how to stop worrying about what other people think of me. I don't know how to stop buying stuff to make me feel happy. It feels like this is compulsive. Actually, the more we become aware of the attachments, the more we realize how it's not just a ribbon. It might even be a chain, right? For some of us, you think, I can't do it. Other of us might say, no, Vijay, you don't understand my situation. I can't give. Like, I physically can't. I cannot do it. And in response to this rhetorical question that if we were to ask Paul, he responds with two verses that are maybe more quoted than any other verses and more misquoted than any other verses. He says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. It's on Steph Curry's basketball shoe. Tim Tebow wrote it on his eye black. And that's nice for them, but it has nothing to do with being able to hit three-pointers with no time left or score touchdowns. The best translation of the verse is, I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. What things? Huh. Being generous, being unattached, being content. He says, it's impossible in my heart to do it. I cannot unattach myself. I can't cut the strings on these things. But Christ in me can. I can do it. I can do all these things through Christ. For those of us who say, I can't, I don't know how to do it. And then for those of us who say, I can't, I can't physically do it. The math doesn't add up for me. He says this, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches. This verse again is in light of actually an invitation 
to be generous. And he says supply, that word supply actually means fullness, the same thing that it says, I know what it is to have plenty. All your needs according to his riches. I know in my life, sometimes this has literally looked like we gave and God gave us more money, even more. I didn't, like you say, did it fall out of the sky? It did at times. And we said, I, I, we never saw this coming. Other times, it's not been, more often than not, it's not money that gets given back to you. It's the riches of God. It's something else he's doing in my heart as he's binding my heart to his and changing me and giving me freedom, contentment, to be less attached to status, to happiness, and to security. This is how and so here's my encouragement to you this morning as you're reflecting on this or wrestling with it is to consider giving something away that is tied to status happiness and security and so this is going to take some thinking in you in your life and your family but like maybe you've been saving for something like that for you if money's about status maybe it's been something you've been saving for something a new whatever fill in the blank Maybe you've been saving and thinking about and figuring out how you can, your next trip, where you're going to eat out next or whatever, or something. Maybe you've just been saving for saving because it's about security. Now, I'm not saying you need to not do that anymore, but maybe there's a percentage of that, or maybe there's a piece of that. Maybe the whole thing of that is saying, you know what? I don't actually need it. Like, what if I gave it? What if I gave it? What if I took a shot at these attachments? What if I took, this is not about obedience, it's about faith. It's saying, okay, God, I can't do this, but I could give and, and trust you to do the thing that I can't do. I can't cut the attachments that I have. But if I give, would you do that for me? Would you make me a little less tied to status, to happiness, and to security? It's a step of faith. And for those of you that say, I don't know how this is going to work, I will tell you, Math is important, and you need to get that in order, but the math also doesn't work when it comes to giving. Time and time and time again, not just in my life, but in so many people's lives I've heard, that as they trusted and gave, God gave them, God helped them, God sustained them, God supplied riches for them. And so I want to invite you just to consider for what that would mean for you today. As we do, I'm just going to invite the band up, and they're going to sing a song that just talks about running to God, about this idea of having our hearts more attached to his. And I trust as you listen, that this will just be something that allows you to get closer to his heart and to understand him more. But before I, I uh, just uh, dismiss you, I want to give you a blessing. Um, that song just reminded us that there are riches, the, 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 the greatest store of riches that God has is his love for us. Um, and so I just want to bless you with a fresh experience or a, an encounter, and maybe for the first time or the first time again, with the riches of love that God has for you. And so go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.